0: welcome to ctn cio talk network with your host sun joe all comments views and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host guests and callers now here's sun joe
1: Hello and welcome to this segment on CTN. To learn more, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter and look for this show as hashtag DevOps. So today's topic is creating a DevOps vision and roadmap. And our guests for today's show are Leonard Hardy, who's the Senior Vice President of Operations and Technology with Northern Trust Corporation. Hi, Len. How are you? Good morning, Sunjog. Thanks for having me. Oh, great to have you. And we also have John Willis, who's the co-author of the DevOps Handbook. Hey, John, how are you doing?
2: Hey, great. Good morning.
1: Good morning to you as well. So uh, the topic today we picked up because, of course, DevOps is not brand new to us. It's, it's not anymore a hype or something that we should be um, just concerned about. People are trying to implement, but then we also see that it has become a little tougher than what people otherwise thought. Okay, you've got operations group and you got the, the development group and we have to get them together. So, earlier it started as, okay, something cool, but now it's becoming a huge change management initiative. There are pains, there are challenges, there are myths, there are mysteries. So, what we wanted to do today is to look at to DevOps objectively and see what would it actually take for us to create a vision for DevOps? And then subsequently, what would that playbook look like so that it really becomes uh, something you can create and, and uh, leverage? So, that said, Len, if I were to ask you, would, would, are there multiple definitions or interpretation of this DevOps even today?
2: So potentially, I'll tell you what the definition of DevOps is at Northern Trust. Um, to us, it's all about removing or minimizing the things that the developers traditionally viewed as obstacles uh, to their productivity at the time to market, right? So today, these things exist due to operational processes, functions, tasks. And again, to us, DevOps is really about enabling continuous integration, continuous delivery, automating as much of the integration, testing, and code scanning and also the migration task as we possibly can, right? These are the things that have historically been manual and time-consuming uh, and, and and processed by operational staff. I mean, really, it's about the bottom line is it's all about bringing business value and bringing it to market faster. So, yeah,
1: is, is go ahead, John.
3: Yeah, this is John. So, you know, I, I've been I, – I started – I've been th- 35 years as what I call an IT operations junkie, um, but about eight years ago I ran into – Kind of Luke Knies, who who's the founder of Puppet Labs. He was a one-man show. I started working with him. Started then, you know, then became an early, uh, early on at Chef. It was ninth person at Chef. But, but about seven years ago, six years ago, was the first DevOps days, and I, I actually was the only American to actually attend the first DevOps days in Belgium. In the early days, we said, you know, this whole question about the definition of DevOps, um, in the early days, we said, we we went by Adam Jacobs, it's a cultural and professional movement, full stop, don't argue with it, deal with the culture, it's a professional movement, learn from everything that's going on in the ecosystem. Uh, A little bit later, Damon Edwards, my co-host of DevOps Cafe Podcast, came up with this CAMS, Culture Automation and engineering. But long story short, over the last three years, I've been working with Gene Kim and Jez Humble and Patrick DeBarn in this DevOps handbook, and I've really studied a lot of what Gene has been doing at IT Revolution. Gene, the author of uh, The Phoenix Project, uh, what we consider high-performance organizations. And, you know, I, I think today, um, you know, I, I literally we just were like code complete on the DevOps handbook like this week. Um, the um, You know, I, I would say that what DevOps really is um, is, this idea, and I agree uh, with what you just said, but I, I think it's about honestly turning human capital. It's a methodology for, for turning human capital um, into high performance organizational capital. And I know that's a mouthful, but it, it really, when it comes down to it, we, we can study what Toyota did, what Lean did, we can dive down into the tools. But at the end of the day, we're taking this, this thing that we have, what's human capital, which is this gray area on our market cap, you know, if we're a public company, and organizational capital that we can see as high performance. So it really is, um, it is about um, that glue in between humans and what they can do and how do you turn that into, you know, um, visible high performance organizational capital.
1: So, Len, when you look at uh, the organization that you were trying to develop, I'm sure this also started a number of years ago in your uh, organization. And when you mentioned about automation and optimizing resources and how to make it seamless, that that's actually goes back before the DevOps term was even coined. So what is the incremental uh, tweak, if you will, that you're doing, or is this still a transformation for you?
2: So again, from Northern Trust perspective, I think that we are just really starting what I would consider the DevOps journey, right? So we're a 125-year-old company. Um, we've had applications, you know, in production since the, the early early to mid '60s, right? So um, we are just beginning this this uh, this transformation, if you will. And what brought that about was really um, we understood from a technology perspective that if we are going to meet our corporate goals, which I think are pretty Comment to other organizations. You know, better client satisfaction, uh, faster, faster uh, speed to market, uh, better employee satisfaction, um, higher ROI and ROE. Those kind of things that we needed from a technology perspective to deliver. You know, better applications, more secure applications, and we needed to deliver that business value faster. So we were looking at ways to kind of transform and revolutionize the way that we've been developing software here for, for quite some time. So we're, I would say, at the very beginning of what we're considering the DevOps evolution at this point?
1: Um, so, you are, when, you, when you're when beginning it, so that means you have a blank slate. Is that what you're saying? Because, of course, uh, you had some automation and some tweaking and some, uh, you know, u- uniform integration, if you will, between dev and ops that was already happening in the past.
2: Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is we're trying to automate a lot of the things that were done manually. Now, Now, you guys have to understand, we are a uh, financial services industry and we're very, very highly regulated, right? We have auditors and regulators in here all the time. There's a lot of process and procedure around uh, what we have to do with um, moving code to production uh, and things like that. So what we're trying to do is figure out how we can automate some of the things that have been manual, you know, in in sort of the past uh, and still meet the requirements of the regulators and the auditors and the Federal Reserve and uh, other bodies like that, both here and uh, in, in Europe and in Asia, because, you know, we are a global company. Uh, at this point, you know, we have offices in, you know, 20 international locations in 19 states. So we have to do things in a way that are going to meet the requirements of each of those different jurisdictions. So um, I guess, you know, just just to sum up where I think we are, you know, like you said, we have a lot of legacy, but we're undergoing a large transformation right now. So some of the things that we're building and we're developing are, in fact, Greenfield. So um, we are in the process of trying to figure out, you know, how we're going to integrate DevOps into Greenfield, plus how we're going to start moving the needle from our legacy environment uh, into that same DevOps environment.
1: Now, when you look at, uh, John, from your viewpoint, because I'm sure you've looked at the companies that you may have directly worked with or as a trend, and as you wrote your book, um, what what are the Typical trends, what is that uh, inflection point, if you will, where people say, okay, the, the regular stuff is not working, let's go the DevOps route, and they do see that it brings some significant ROI for all this effort that they put in?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, Len has, Len's experience is very similar to almost every company. You know, what um, we we do this DevOps Enterprise Summit, and we have about fifty or sixty large companies. You know, um, we had like Sherman Williams. You know, you want to talk about you know coming up talking about what they did at DevOps or Western Union. You know, but we also have you know banks, Barclays, and and uh, Target and Nordstrom, but. It's not a one-size-fits-all, right? And, and you know, I think it is a journey, like Lynn said, right? And I think Greenfield, I'm I'm kind of reconfirming what, what Lynn says, but it's, it's you know, you, you look at Greenfield opportunities, you look for quick wins to prove out the theory, right? It, um, to get um, deep again, you know, I, a lot of what we've learned over the last couple of years about DevOps is a lot of it comes from lean Toyota production system and to go real deep. Dr. Deming but uh, in the end it's experimental like you, you don't just read a book and say oh I'm going to do that right you, you read a book and you say wow I like what, what Target has done I like what Nordstrom has done um, and then I say let me try this out as an experiment and I, I actually treat it like a science experiment so I actually implement things with the test markers I mean you know Deming said it's you know plan do check act right um, and Toyota lived and died by scientific method. Uh, the original uh, Harvard Business Review, uh, Decoding the DNA of t- Toyota Production st- Systems, Stephen Spears said, Toyota was a community of scientists, continual experiment. So, long. I, I know I get long-winded, but basically, your journey is that you try things. Um, You probably don't take a 40-year-old legacy application as your first try. You you take a green field, maybe parts of a brown field structure that look like you can turn that into an experiment. Okay, we're going to use these type of tools. We're going to measure these type of things, and we're going to put that in play, and we're going to find out, does this work for us? Because the answer might be your culture is so bad, that even this experiment, which worked for 100 out of 100 people that gave presentations about it, didn't work for our organization. Why was that? You know, And then you apply kind of that scientific method to figure that out, and maybe you 5 Y your way back to find out that we've got a broken culture. Um, and the one thing I do want to also point out, which is really important, um, the DevOps survey has been going on for about four years now. Um, this last year was really significant, and we're actually starting to codify. And it's a lot about what – I'm trying not to sell the book, but it's a great book, and, and I'm just one of four, three, four authors on it. But what we found through the DevOps survey that has been run through Gene Kim and Puppet Labs um, is that it boils down to two metrics. One is lead time. You know, how agile are you? Can you measure your ability – to deliver from whiteboard to what we call the ahada ka-ching. How good are you? We are seeing significant differences between what we call high-performance organizations and low-performing organizations in how good are they at lead time, which is how often do you deploy? How agile are you to deploy? How many times can you deploy? Do you have waterfall? And the second metric, which is just my favorite all time, is how good are you at repair, so those two, which we call mean time to repair or mean time to recovery. And what we're finding is that out of all this DevOps gook that we, that we did, the whole industry, which is great, because I remember when there were 30 people talking about this, you know, six years ago, um, as the word DevOps, not in general, but now I, thousands and companies and everybody is uh, glommed onto this thing. But we're finding our two important metrics is how good are you and can you Can you quantify how good you are at delivering at lead time and how quick can you repair things? And what we're finding is high-performance organizations are just extremely better at those two metrics than the ones that are are self-defined through statistical surveys that we've been doing as low-performing organizations.
1: Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And this is interesting where we are looking at surveys and other form of quantifiable metrics to see whether uh, an organization will be able to effectively leverage DevOps and or the culture would really be conducive for it. So let's see if it is truly a, a data crunching or gut or an art or a science completely. What's that combination? What's that sweet spot that an organization should be At where they can effectively take uh, DevOps head on and really tame it. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back.
0: Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Joe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOtalknetwork.com. Now, back to the show.
1: All right, so we're back. And, uh, John, based on your last comment, I'd like to ask a question uh, to John. Uh, sorry, not John, Len. That in your organization, when you are uh, working with the numbers or you're getting started and taking some greenfield opportunities to test out this DevOps, would you really do a a numerical analysis of the state of where your organization stands or is it going to be a typical leadership and uh, uh, finding yourself through the haze, finding your way through the haze is is the approach that you would have to take in order for you to see if DevOps is, you are ready for the DevOps.
2: So my perspective is, uh, like most things, it's it's a combination of both, right? I mean, we even in today's environment, even in, in you know yesterday's or last month's waterfall environment, you know, we have all sorts of metrics that we take uh, in terms of uh, uptime, in terms of uh, application failures, in terms of some of the things that John mentioned, mean time to repair, mean time to restoration, things like that. So we do have metrics that we can uh, we can compare. I mean, we know how many times. Uh, we migrate to production for each application a year, and we know how many times, you know, we're doing it uh, more and more more actively now that we're, we're started down sort of that DevOps journey. So, again, it's just like everything else. It's not one thing, right? It's about the people. It's about the process and it's about the technology. And some of those things you can put metrics around and some of them you have to go by gut, I think.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, again, uh, the, what works, works, right? Like I'm a meat and potatoes, guys, right? Like, so, um, I look for the things that work in patterns, right? So, you know, if somebody tells me that they're improving, great. Um, I would say the, the successful patterns are where you decide, you know, back to what I was saying earlier, it's not whether you're measuring ongoing. Um, it, it, it's not measurement, and I'm not saying that you do this, Len. I'm saying measurement for measurement's sake, right, it, without applying some type of kind of hypothesis to things. Like, so what we're finding is, and this comes a lot from like Eric Reese's Lean, Lean Startup, Jez Humble, one of the co-authors on a Handbook wrote Lean Enterprise, where you start thinking about things very much, you know, if you look at everything um, Eric Reese has said about Lean Startup is it starts applying to the enterprise. In, in the startup world, right, the really, really good web properties are excellent at like, Putting something in front of a customer, testing the results, pivoting or moving forward or triple or double down on it, right? And what we're finding is these models work really good in the enterprise as well. And as you know, and, and again, I, I'll, I'll talk about the DevOps uh, uh, Enterprise Summit where you have Nordstrom and Target, and and you know there was about fifty companies. But the point is, so you're going to do a greenfield. All right. So instead of just doing the greenfield, like okay, well. It looks like company X used Chef, so we'll use Chef. It looks like company X used Jenkins, so we'll use Jenkins. It looks like company X used Splunk, so we'll use Splunk. So let's just splat those three things down and start um, doing DevOps. And then, you know, six months later, you find that your culture, eh, nobody really knew how to do Ruby, so Chef didn't work. Or, and, and I've seen this. I've seen large companies that kind of did the false version of DevOps where they brought in these big products. It was kind of a cargo cult. They looked at other companies and said, well, oh, they use Chef users and put it, and they didn't act like scientists. And the ones that are successful say, you know what, what, are, what do we want as the outcome? We've got a greenfield." We want to take the green field, and we want to get certain kinds of results. So let's put the measurements on what kind of results we're going to get from this. As the hypothesis is, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and we're going to see, you know, these three outcomes. And if we see those three outcomes, then we build further. If we don't see those three outcomes, we, we pivot. And, and creating this iterative process, uh, Mike Roth is Toyota Kata, uh, which is an excellent one of the best books I read in 2014. You know, talks about um, about this um, basically um, improvement kata and, and how Toyota would just everything was really kind of in this kind of um, scientific loop. And and I know I might sound like a geek, but I'm telling you that the pattern of success that we're seeing. Um, you know, from Gene to Jez to some of the, the, just the leadership now in the DevOps movement is based on this kind of model of, and again, going back, those two, those two metrics just keep coming up all the time, lead time and MTTR.
2: Yeah, this is Glenn. I'd like, I'd like to make a couple of comments on that. So, so John, you, you know, you, you talked about sort of the concept of, you know, fail fast, fail off and pivot, those kind of things. I think it's, it's interesting, you know. There's a there's a quote that I saw that I thought was really interesting, and it was by somebody who's not associated with DevOps. In fact, it was from Thomas Edison, and said, "I haven't really failed. I've just found ten thousand ways that won't work." Right. So, I think the I think the the concept of you know sort of the laboratory approach and being able to uh, to fail, and the fact that people have to understand that that's the way that it's going to work. Not everything is going to to, to work the first time. And you have, to be, you have to be nimble and you have to be agile and you have to be able to pivot and you have to be able to change your perspective on how you're going to deliver those things. I think that's very important. Um, and again, one more comment on, your, on your, your comment about the hypothesis, right? So what we're having a hard time doing is, is, is convincing um, some of the people that I mentioned earlier, so some of the regulators and some of the audit, uh, auditors and those kind of things that, you know, a DevOps uh, you know, migrate way more often than you did in the old way is actually less risky. And our hypothesis is it's less risky, right? In, in yesterday's world, if I had a, a big monolithic application and I had a big project on that application, I might migrate produ- to production three or four times a year, right? What do you think the mean time to failure is, I'm sorry, the mean time to repair is if there's a problem with that when that developer may have worked on that specific enhancement, which was one out of 500 or one out of 1,000 four months ago, Right. They have no idea where that code is anymore or how to go in and fix it. The mean time to repair is sky high. Now, if I'm, if, I'm dist- if I'm migrating that application, you know, once a week, once a month, once a day, something, something in a very, very quick, uh, quick schedule, everything is clear in the developer, the architect, and the tester's mind, and they have a very, very good idea of where that code is and how to fix it. So, so the hypothesis is, is that mean time to repair, you know, is going to drop significantly, and there's going to be less risk in a DevOps world than there is in the old waterfall environment. No,
3: Len, Len, spot on. Um, you know, I mean, I'm glad you brought up failure too, right? Like, in, in you're right, embracing failure, understanding failure is just the, you know, Mike Roth says if you look up the word failure in, in the dictionary, it doesn't say, get away, run, stay away from this page, right? Like, it doesn't really have a bad connotation, right? It's just the output of, um, of an experiment. Um, and and the the thing about failure too, the other point is you're spot on about treating things as failure is that culturally you have to create a model where people don't get chastised for failure. Right? That's the that's one of the biggest problems we have. Right? Is changing this culture. That's why we we talk about things like blameless postmortems. I mean, um, there's people who actually will teach you how to do blameless postmortems where you don't say you know shoulda woulda could you can't use those words right like you, nobody there you don't identify people as you know eh, bill broke the you know you think of things as systems so there's a whole we could spend an hour on the culture of embracing failure mm-hmm. uh, but again I'll go back to that thing I think you 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 were spot on is this is why I love MTTR in the devops survey in 2015 we found that the difference between a high performing organization and a low performing organization was 168 times better at MTTR. That means they had 168, they were 168 times better at repairing. So when they did more frequent deploys and they did, they, they statistically, I mean, we had a PhD st- statistician, Nicole uh, Forsham, work on the psychometrics of how to do the um, the surveys. So this is real stuff. And we found that the, the people who had these patterns of delivery were 168 times better at repairing their systems when they broke than the people who were considered low-performing. And, and, and that comes from moving from waterfall to to rapid iteration, small batch, so exactly spot on,
1: um, Len. <laughs> So we spoke, we both of you spoke about sandboxing. So like anything new, of course, you would want to do a little bit of that. But then how, how much is the appetite for the enterprise, which is saying we anyway are trying to reduce the cost. And yes, you try to promise. You actually promise to reduce the cost as a result of making it more homogeneous in terms of DevOps. And then you want money for it, but then you're still sandboxing. Till what time will you do that before you say, okay, this is my unique model that's going to work for my organization? Well, my my perspective
2: is, and again, a company that's been around 125 years, is I don't think that we will have one model. Um, I think that, you know, uh, I guess Gardner calls it bimodal IT. I think that uh, IBM might call it multimodal IT. But I guess the bottom line with that kind of theory or strategy is traditional IT isn't necessarily going away, especially for the large enterprises, right? So Northern Trust, we have both core processing applications. We have you know client facing internet and mobile application and from our perspective not all workloads are created equal right and some are more easily uh, lending themselves to agile development and devops so i think you know this concept of bimodal or multimodal both traditional and it and agile and devops are required by our organization and and from our perspective each are equally important and each are considered to be equally important right we don't like to Segment resources here to say you know you're mode one or you're mode two or you're service oriented or you're uh, you know you're in the laboratory or things like that. We don't want to label or silo our people, right? So given the chance, you know our perspective is people will self-select to where they're most comfortable and most productive, right? So I guess the answer to that question is is we don't see a 100% full migration to a DevOps environment, at least not for Northern Trust. We see traditional IT having its place. We see uh, agile. We see Ah, uh, rapid development. We see DevOps having its place, also.
3: So, I, I just want to add. There's a great story that Nordstrom did at uh, DevOps Enterprise Summit in 2015, and and and. You know, and I hate bimodal, uh, multimodal. It, 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 there is no one size fits all. Like Glenn said, there, there's no two modes. You know, like this is why I hate Gartner. And I, I don't want to waste too much time on this. I hate Gartner's two. There are two modes. Okay, well, it's that simple. No, it's not that simple. And here's a great story, right? And the other thing is it's not always about tools, right? DevOps is not just tools. I mean, tools are a part and point. The story from Nordstrom is, is amazing. So they were talking about they've gone on a lot of greenfield, a lot of new API development, that stuff full-in on DevOps. They've been doing this a couple of years. Um, One of the things that came up all the time was they had a mainframe COBOL application. I'm old enough to know. I've been doing this 35 years. Like, I worked on those things years ago. Mainframe COBOL, and and every year, you know, at some management level, it would come up, like, should we get rid of this? Well, you know, it's been around for 40 years. Uh, You know, Nordstrom is a 115-year-old company as well, right? And and so, um, it'd come up and people would say, we just need to get rid of it. We need to rewrite it. We need to get it off the mainframe. It's killing us, you know. It's, and, and one of the things that, uh, Courtney Nisser was one of the, one of the, um, head, you know, chief, I forget what her title is, but she's, she, um, she's been doing a lot of transformation at Narcom, is they, they applied something that they had been doing in a lot of the web-based business, the API stuff, and something called value stream mapping. And value stream mapping is an incredible tool. It started with Toyota. It is used quite often. Mike Rother wrote a book, Learning to See SEE. Um, it, it's a, it's a valuable tool. It has nothing to do with technology tools. It's, you literally go from left to right and value stream map. There, you know, there's a lot written about it. Here's the thing. Courtney said, you know what? Let, instead of just like every year doing yay or nay, on this COBOL mainframe. Like, should we get rid of it or should we not? Okay, let's wait till next year. Should we get rid of it? Should we not? They said, you know what? Let's apply something that we're using very strategically in our web scale, our, our digital properties, our uh, e commerce, all the things that we're doing on the really fast moving stuff. Let's apply one of these things called this value stream. They did a value stream map of this thing and they found out that all the bottlenecks were huge handoffs. And so for years, they've been debating, wasting time on whether they should get rid of this or not, and they applied a simple technique that's been around in Lean for quite a while called value stream mapping to this mainframe COBOL app. And what they found is, A, the application is fine, the mainframe's fine, the costs were buried in the human handoff. And they didn't understand that somebody sent this to this person. It was always written up because it didn't have any. And in the end, they, they put a Node.js application on the forms that got filled out by the requesters, and it basically solved 90% of their problems that were, were perceived problems that were either the mainframe or it was COBOL and we got to get rid of it. So there's a greatest story about, like, there
1: is no one-size-fits-all. There is no bimodal um, anyway. Yeah. So let's take a quick break, listeners. Okay. We'll be right back. And uh, Len, when we come back, we'd like to continue with this discussion on, on what's that sweet spot for uh, things which are specific to uh, DevOps, because we spoke about, okay, fail fly fast, fail uh, small. And then we spoke about how the culture makes a difference. All of these things are leadership and management 101. So if everything remaining the same, what would you do differently, specifically, To get DevOps off the ground and actually move towards the right direction. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back.
0: Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back. So, Glenn, I uh, would love for you to share a few comments that you may have after John spoke about how uh, Nordstrom did what they did. And then subsequently, would like to have you talk about what's so unique and different that you're going to do specifically keeping DevOps in mind versus the standard leadership and management 101 stuff.
2: You know, John's comment about it's not all about tools and about how, you know, if if a company was strictly going by a bimodal IT kind of kind of theory, they would have certainly bypassed that COBOL as mode one and not even worried about it. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that we're doing a lot of transformation here. So we're doing a lot of um, new technology uh, to automate processes. And sort of the... The old school way of looking at this, especially from some of the, you know, from the, from the business side is, you know, let's just throw some new technology against the process that we have and hope to solve the problem, right? And in, in, in John's example, that would have never worked because the technology wasn't the problem, right? It's not about the tools, right? Last year I did a presentation at a financial services conference. The title of the presentation was IT is a source of innovation. Technology is the easy part, and I really believe that, okay? So what we try to do is we try to figure out what is the optimal business process, right? how should I be doing this? How should that COBOL program been interfacing with the people and the other processes around it? You know, And then talk about the information that's going back and forth between all of these things. And then last but not least, talk about how I might automate that with the tools. So again, I think technology is the easy part here. Of course, we've got some technical complexities to deal with, you know, and we've got some choices to make. But the real, the real work here is about around you know the process and around the people. And that applies, I think, both to business problems, but to um, DevOps in general, right? So you ask me, you know, you know what, do, what, what have I done that, or what am I doing specifically, you know, from a DevOps perspective? And, and I think John mentioned this earlier, too, is, you know, take your small wins when they're there, right? So what we've decided to do is we've broke this down into chunks, right? So we've made some technology and some tooling decisions, um, and we've implemented those, and we've brought in people who can be uh, champions across the uh, additional application development groups that we have. And we call these our lead architects, right? So we have about 20 or 30 lead architects that represent all of our application developers across the Northern Trust. And, you know, they are very, very gung-ho about this. So they are ambassadors, right? There are strong support in the application development community um, on what we're trying to do with the first chunk of DevOps, which is put in, and utilize a continuous integration environment in order to make the developer's life easier, to increase the productivity, um, to uh, allow them uh, faster feedback on, uh, on problems in their code, on security issues, while we continue to work on the people and process part, right? So as we continue to work on uh, how do we convince the auditors and the regulars, how do we convince the business that this is the right thing, how do we map the fact that we think that there's less risk, as we mentioned earlier, As we're doing all those things in the background, we're gaining acceptance for the environment, for the strategy, uh, for the technology components with our application and solution development um, environment. So, you know, we're taking our small wins, we're moving forward, we're gaining incremental progress, and we're building this thing for the long haul.
3: Yeah, and this is John. I mean, that's just, I mean, the the other thing I think what, what you are there, Len, is what we call learning organization right which is again it's been kind of a cliche over the years you know peter senge but 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 again as we narrow in on this thing that devops is uh again we we find the patterns are that companies that again there's no like you have to start here and do this you have to do this it ha- you you go in and you just continually learn you guys are learning that ci cd is probably working for you. You were learning that um, that developers are getting faster feedback because you're putting the flow in. Faster feedback creates a, a, a virtual cycle of success, right? Um, the faster you get feedback, the faster you fix, the faster you deploy, the faster you get in the hands of the customer. Um, but in, at the end of the day, that is, it's another pattern that has really evolved, harder to measure. Um, you know, I love MTTR and I love lead time and I'm a broken record on that. Uh, but how one of the things that is really interesting in 2016 17 for me is how can we quantify how good are you as a learning organization? What are the patterns? Can we actually create a metrics around it? Um, we got tons of information that things you can do hackathons, um, you know, um, slack time, send people to conference. Etsy is a good example. You know, one of your. Um, one of your feedbacks as an employer and, um, you know, I, I don't know what their reward system is, but what you are um, expected to teach something to the general community as part of your, um, you know, as part of the categories of things that you have to do as part of you, I don't want to say MBOs, but um, objectives of what you need to accomplish. So how, so, um, you know, overall, are you, are you even thinking about it, uh, uh, that you are becoming a learning organization? There's tons of really um, recent literature about this.
1: So, um, so coming to you, John, so when you're looking at these different organizations, at what point can they say, okay, we have done enough? Because to some extent, the way that the conversation has gone and the kind of things that you brought up, both of you, it looks like similar to a continuous improvement wave that we saw some time back. And when we start working on something like that, uh, initially there's a lot of improvement and or a lot of investment being made, standards and benchmarks being created. And after some time, people start losing steam because you can only squeeze so much juice out of that penny.
3: Well, again, I think that, that, that it's a journey, right? There is no, um, there is no ending point. And I forget the famous quote we always say for DevOps, but the DevOps is not an end result, it's a journey. And, and it goes back to, steam is about culture right and do you lose steam yeah i mean in certain pockets thing people are human but in general are you an organization that is continually learning i mean again you look at toyota i know toyota's had some you know recent setbacks but for 50 years they basically decimated their market i mean decimated the market from about you know um, from from how they got tuned in in the late 50s As they moved into the 70s, from the 70s to almost 2010, no contest. I mean, you know, we don't have enough time on a podcast to do the metrics here, but they decimated the automobile manufacturing market. And it was a culture that never lost steam. In fact, um, one of their themes now they're starting to predict is um, management changes that started thinking about ROI over um, over speed and and their their inherent culture is what actually took them off course. Um, so I, so I say that um, it, it, again, none of this is easy. Like Len could attribute to this, and a large financial institution, it is really freaking hard. We have a whole chapter. Um, uh, uh, in our book of that Gene has written most of because he's got the most experience with auditing and audit control and all that um, is how hard it is but how you can attack you know things like you know compliances and different you know HIPAA or PCCI or all the different things that um, that um, all the regulations exactly, whatever um, but the point is um, it is you know the, the things that work is creating a culture You know, go back to Mike Roth. Mike Roth says that Toyota had a true north, right? They actually wanted to create one-by-one flow in their manufacturing. You know, what is the true north of your organization? And I know some people listen like, listen, this guy, true north, buzzword, bingo. Well, it's not. There's a reason Toyota decimated the market for, let's take, 70, 40 years, right? There's a reason why nobody on the planet can come close to creating video streaming like Netflix. And if you read Reed Hastings' culture deck, it'll blow your mind. Um, and, and, you know, and so um, so there is, you know, again, people lose steam for all sorts of reasons, but in general, you're trying to create a culture that really does have some form of a true north where everybody gets to see the vision and works their way towards that. And again, you know, I know this is fluffy stuff, or but it, but it's not, and and uh, and it can work, and it is working in certain organizations.
2: So Len, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, this is Len. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, the first part of that, the key word I think that you used, and that we've been using for this uh, here at Northern Trust, is it's a journey, right? I think the key is different people in different roles will, you know, in air quotes, get it at different times, right? Mm-hmm. From our perspective, in a heavily, heavily, you know, regulated industry, and, you know, and you mentioned HIPAA industries and financial services, right? You know, we not only have to get our employees to get it, but we have to get the auditors and the regulators to get it, right? We have to prove that our new process has the same or better controls in place that the old process, right? You talked about culture, you know, all very, very valid. Northern Trust is a very long tenured staff. I've been working here for 33 years. This is my first job out of college, uh, and I've been doing different technology jobs, starting with, you know, assembler program to, you know, application development to managing applications to, you know, now doing kind of enterprise architecture work. So we have a very long tenured staff with deep technical and business knowledge, right? We have to ensure that we change the culture in a way that we can keep these partners here, we can incorporate these partners because they're absolutely vital to our success. success. We have tons of business knowledge in the, ap- in the application side, you know, here at Northern Trust. You know, with that said, we're bringing in new recruits, right? We're trying to supplement these people, these veterans, with, with fresh resources from top comp- computer science uh, uh, universities across the country. So, You know, we're trying to change the culture like you stated, John, but we're trying to keep the culture also because we think what we have is valuable uh, in its own right. Well, you know, I'm going to squeeze in here real quick because I, the one thing I don't want
3: to get confused as, you know, a couple of years ago I did this kind of, I usually do a theme presentations throughout the year, and I think it was two years ago I did culture as your strategic weapon. And, and so that's a great point in that you don't, like, your culture is your thing. You know, Northern Trust or Toyota or Nordstrom, right, there is a cultural aspect there. So when I say culture, I don't mean rip and rate replace. I mean, find the native, you know, what is the vision of this organization? What has made this organization great? And I know I sound like a cheerleader now, but, and, and to, so what I'm saying is you're spot on, right? That it isn't about going into Northern Trust or or Nordstrom or Target and saying, get rid of this, get rid of this, get rid of this, right? There is greatness about an organization. So to figure out what that true north is and to create a journey, which actually like embraces that culture as the strategic weapon. So turn that, that inherent thing like, like, and, and again, one of the things where uh, we've got a lot of really cool documented cases where auditors at financial institutions and highly regular places are embracing DevOps because at the end of the day, um, you can tell somebody, hey, go look at a million lines of code and tell me whether it, it's, or I can give you some abstractions in DevOps tools language like infrastructure as code or or immutable infrastructure where I can say, will you trust that if we do these things this way that it's going to be protected? Will you trust that if the storage people have built their rule sets into the automation, if the IT sec people have built, have used cucumber or Selenium as part of the continuous delivery pipeline, we're actually not only doing integration and functional testing on the code, you're doing uh, security and, and um, and um, uh, vulnerability analysis on the flow, right? Anyway, so it, it isn't about, um, and, and so I'm agreeing with you, Len, I want to make sure everybody else truly understands that I'm not advocating just rip and replace your culture. I'm advocating find out what's awesome about your culture and take the journey
2: to make it great. Yeah, this is Len. One last comment on that. I completely agree, John. We like to think that here, culture isn't just one thing, right? It's a combination of, you know the company's values, their ethics, and their people, and then the other side of that that's part of the culture is the practices and the processes. We at Northern Trust are perfectly perfectly happy with the first part, our values, our ethics, and our people. What we think we need to do is is take a look and change our practices and our processes.
1: Uh, let's take a quick break listeners We'll be right back and. Len, I'd like to come back and talk about when we get down to the brass tacks, that means you've got to put money in there, there's training and hiring and replacing and or repurposing people. All of that is heavy work. So yes, we talk about culture. Yes, we talk about all the other things that we have to do anyways. But all of this will take time, energy, effort, and dollars. How do you make sure that you got everything like that and to tag onto it, another thing is it really gets ugly before it gets better whenever you're trying to do change. Is the organization willing to... Embrace that ugliness before it will get to the better state where DevOps really starts creating value. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back.
0: Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global you are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit ciotalknetwork.com.
1: Now, back to the show welcome back. So Len, uh, let's talk about brass tacks. Getting down to it, you need resources and somebody has to fund it and also it could get ugly in the process. What's the appetite at a business level for that?
2: In our case, I think that one of the keys here is we really ha- you really have to have you know, executive sponsorship for a program like this that goes you know, high enough in the organization where they can break down silos, they can you know, organize funding, they can you know, explain to other executives what- what's What's trying to be accomplished and what we're trying to do here and what the goal and the vision is, and I think for Northern Trust, that high level uh, sponsor was our uh, CTO, right? In a large organization like Northern Trust, you know, I think there are a lot of people, especially on the technology side, that recognize the issues that we have, you know, and be glad to kind of break those apart and tear them down. Like you said, is convincing the convincing the business of that, and we're trying to do that with sort of the small wins type of thing. Like I said, we're starting some transformational programs. We're looking to improve our delivery, improve the uh, quality of the code and actually show the business, you know, that we're, we're going to be successful uh, with that. You know, in our perspective, you know, it, it's a little bit less about time, money and training than it is about, you know, what we talked about before, change management, um, culture change, embracing the changes, you know, making sure that we're putting in place is perceived as being, you know, bigger, stronger and faster than what we took down, right? I think, you know, what we're trying to do is, is, is improve our delivery and make the business aware of that. And again, you know, executive sponsorship for a program like this, very, very important. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I mean, a lot of people come to me and say, John, I
3: work in a large organization and let me explain how it's breaking up. And there's, you know, large, um, you know, boards that have say on what tools we use. And I'm like, you know what? I mean, I can give you a bunch of dues to, you know, hacks, if I will, but at the end of the day, if you don't have executive, um, you know, I almost feel like, you know, should I just tell him to quit or, or, you know, because uh, – but you need – I mean, at the end of the day, it's sad sometimes. Some organizations just don't have that level, and, and it's awesome that you do, Len. Um, but let me let me say this, and I don't want to sound like an anarchist because I do agree. I actually – you know, I could not not agree with, with Len on, you know, he runs a large business, uh, you know, which, you know, some – large applications that have incredible breadth that you don't change quickly, right? You don't, I worked at the federal reserve as a consultant for about a year and a half, right? Like there are IMS, there's a, a tool called IMS that you literally runs most of the transactions that run between banks, right? Like you don't change that easily. but, um, the place I will sound like an anarchist is that, you know, there's, there's two themes I want to point out, you know, Jamie diamond, uh, the CEO of JP Morgan chase in 2015 letter to sh- shareholders said, Silicon Valley is coming. And, you know, when he talked about uh, lending, when he talked about different areas of that bank are getting attacked by Silicon Valley thinking about people, um, we hear often enterprises saying, don't get Ubered. Right? Like, you know, I mean, what is the largest yellow cab? I just read last week or a week and a half ago, the largest yellow cab in San Francisco is uh, filing bankruptcy. Um, you know, so what is the cost? So, yeah, you can add up, you know, Randy Bias, who's one of the early cloud, um, evangelists and had a cloud company, used to say, it's not about bottom line ROI, it's top line ROI. What is the cost of not doing these things? That's the thing that, you know, at the end of the day, you can talk about, you know, well, DevOps and training, and we're going to have to bring in new people, and, you know, change is hard, and, and, you know, we're going to have to bifurcate people who get it versus don't get it, right? Yes, yes, that's incredibly hard. Business is hard, folks, sorry. You know? um, and, but, but at the end of the day, um, you know, the, the, the real threat is, you know, it, when, when Jamie Dimon, who's been pretty damn good at, at his job over the last, I don't know how many years, right, sits in a shareholder's letter and says, we need to start thinking about, like, the threat here. And, again, you hear companies over and over this uh, metaphorical Ubering. Um, so, again, I will tell you that you can pontificate all day long over the reasons why you can't do this and how hard it is and how much disruption it will cost. And we don't have budget this year for this. And, and I get to say this because I'm not in Len's role, right? But at the end of the day, what is the, co- you, the, the real question is what is the cost of not doing these things?
1: Yes. Then what are the top challenges that um – the workers or the people who you're deploying to make all of this happen are uh, sharing? What are they facing?
2: For the most part, um, from the technology perspective, so the application developers, the uh, solution architects, uh, the database architects, uh, the the scrum masters, the people that are running the agile things. I mean, they are um, our biggest supporters. They are incredibly gung-ho, and they look at this as, sort of a, a method to modernize their career, right? So they, they, they read the press, you know, they read the blogs, you know, they see, you know, the pivotal labs out there and they see, you know, you mentioned, you know, Puppet and Andrew Clay Schaefer and all those guys. And, and we try to share some of this information with, 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 with our constituents so they're excited about this. And, and by and large, people are excited. I think from a technical perspective, the people that are using the products that we're putting in place using the processes that we're laying down, at least at this point in our journey, um, are very, very excited about this. We have uh, what we call tech for tech. Uh, every quarter, my group presents about three hours of presentation uh, on a given morning uh, on new things that we're doing from an architecture and innovation perspective. Uh, we have about uh, five to 600 people, um, a couple hundred in the room, several hundred on the phone, um, and these people are incredibly excited about, I think, the direction we're going here, and about uh, learning some of this new stuff and becoming, you know, um, more conversant in some of these technologies.
1: Yeah, thirty no, seconds, did... uh, John. I have one last question for you. Uh, okay. What do you think would it take for you to be able to sell this DevOps thing to the executive management? Given the the way it comes across, is is the the geek thing, which is within the IT realm. Yeah, but it's not a geek
3: thing, right? It's we've got um, we've got a lot of knowledge out there from Lean, from Toyota Production Systems, and if you want to go all the way back from Deming, I, I've done many presentations where I say, call it Deming to DevOps. Um, you know, so the, the the knowledge base is that DevOps is really an evolution of Lean, Toyota Production Systems, Agile, um, organizational learning, safety culture. We're actually bringing guys like Sidney Decker who who study um, uh, human uh, human factors and safety. Um, so the, the, the literature is strong. Uh, it's not a fad. Um, and, and, you know, the DevOps, at the end of the day, this is about, you know, I'll go back to what I said earlier. It's about um, trying to f- figure out how to get human capital um, into high-performance organizational capital. And I, I'm telling you, there are people now studying that gray area and market caps of companies to try to understand what that is. I will tell you that DevOps is a significant part of that gray area in the market cap of many companies.
1: On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you, uh, Len and John, for sharing your thoughts on how organizations can actually work toward developing a DevOps vision and a roadmap which will take them to success. Thank you so much again.
2: It's My pleasure. Thank you.
1: And listeners, please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Network, and be sure to follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CIO Talk Network. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless.